0: Reading This morning comes from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, the first nine verses. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. So let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth. And it was called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this word in our hearts and our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might honor you more along the path of life, even as we more enjoy the calling that you have given to us. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together. With you and the Holy Spirit reigns as one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we continue our uh, study of the introduction to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And uh, these verses are the introduction where the Apostle John uh, wants us to meet the Christ. And he's been introducing us to the Christ in a variety of ways. Uh, He introduced us to the Christ in the beginning, in the very first couple of verses. And then he showed us that the Christ was the agent of creation and that in him is light and life. And then in verses 6 through 8, the Apostle John took a little detour. It's only a small detour, but he did take a detour to introduce us to John the witness. We're used to thinking of him as John the Baptist, and that he was. But in the Gospel of John, he's not so much the baptizer as he is the witness. He's the one who came to testify, uh, to testify to the light, that was coming into the world. Well, in those verses 6 through 8, the Apostle John clearly tells us that John was not the light. He was only a witness to the light so that all might believe through the light. Well, if John is not the light and the light is coming, the question is, who is the light? And that is answered for us in verse 9 which is our text for this morning's sermon. And here, the Apostle John introduces you to the true light. I must admit, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying uh, working in this other Testament and uh, studying uh, the Gospel of John. It's been a delight, and it's also been a delight uh, to be working in the uh, New American Standard Bible. I was raised, as probably many of you were, on the king. And I remember when I got liberal and I bought a New American Standard Bible. And I, uh, that was my first uh, stray from the, uh, the good word of King James. And uh, I can still picture that orange paperback New American Standard. Actually, I didn't buy it. Some friends in college thought I needed to um, modernize a little bit. And so they bought me this paperback orange New American Standard Bible, which served me uh, well until I moved uh, yet further to the left and started to read the NIV, and then I went way overboard and started reading the the New Living Translation, so uh, it's nice to kind of come back home. Um, And I've mentioned a couple of reasons why I'm using the New American Standard in this particular sermon series. But, as they say, even Homer nods. And um, just to make one comment about the order of the clauses in this verse. There are three clauses, and all of our English translations reorder them. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the reason for that momentarily. But I want to work through these clauses as they're found in the Greek text of John. Uh, And there's a reason for that, which we'll see. But uh, what the text says is, there was the true light, which enlightens every man coming into the world. And all of our translations take that third clause and they put it in the second position. There was the true light coming into the world, which enlightens every man. So I've got three uh, points this morning, one for each of these clauses, and we're just going to work through them in the order that they're found uh, in the Greek New Testament. So first of all, uh, there was the true light. And here we meet that simple word was again, which John keeps playing on. And it's the same word that has been already used in, for example, verses uh, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word... And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This word that at least hints at the eternality of the, of the word. Um, a, a word that, that tends to emphasize the ongoing duration of something. Rather than looking at it in a slice of time, This word was, uh, continues that on. Some of my kids are as strange as I. We were sitting around having a conversation, and we were talking about the present perfect and the past perfect the other night. So you'll have to forgive us. (laughs) But at any rate, then, in verse 3, all things came. See the shift. Now he's not talking about the word that was. He's talking about created things. And these things came into being. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So he's, he's shifting from the, the word that was in all eternity to the creation itself. And then in verse 4, he goes back, in him, in the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. Then he goes on in verse 6, there was a man sent from God. He, John again, as a creature, he came as a witness to the light. So John's been very careful in using this word was for the eternal word and using words like came and became for the creation. And now in verse 9, there was the true light. So he's continuing to be consistent there, using was for the eternal word and now for the eternal light. There was the true light. Some things don't change. Um, We have issues today with fake news. Fake news is in the news. And of course, if when fake news is in the news, you don't know if the news that's reporting about the fake news is fake news or not. So this is very much a contemporary issue. It wasn't the exact same issue. They had their own serious issues, though, back in the day, because while we have fake news, they had fake Christs. They had fake messiahs. Of course, we have fake Christs. We have fake messiahs. Oh, And not only do some people proffer themselves as the Savior of the world, but sometimes we make the mistake of attaching our hopes of salvation, whether it's eternal or temporal, on somebody who is not the Christ. And so John the Apostle wants us to know that there was the true light. Now, this idea of true and truth is a big issue for the Apostle John. We know this because he learned well from his Hebrew mother. And his Hebrew mother taught him to repeat his vocabulary in his writing so that people would know what some of his main ideas are. And so the Apostle John uses the word for truth nine times in the gospel, and he uses the adjective true 25 times, so if my math is any good, that's 34 occurrences of this concept of true truth in the gospel of John. It's something that's important to John. Just a couple of examples. In John 6:32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, and that's not our true. That's uh, amen, amen uh, in Greek, which comes from Hebrew, amen, amen. But it goes on to say, Jesus says, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread. Jesus is the true bread. John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. So John's very much concerned with us being able to discern the difference between truth and error. What's the point when he says that uh, there was the true light? How can we put that in other words? Well, we might say there was the genuine, the authentic. Um, I'm no art critic. But if somebody were to bring, a, um, say, a Van Gogh painting in to this room, I could probably tell you that's a Van Gogh and not a Monet. I did have one humanities class as an undergrad way back. But you know what I couldn't tell you? I couldn't tell you if that Van Gogh was genuine. Is it authentic? I don't have that ability to discern. Is it the real McCoy? Common expression, by the way, when it popped into my mind, I had to look it up and couldn't find the origin of it. There are about three or four different origins. I thought it had something to do with the old television show, (laughs) but it doesn't. So at least I learned that much. Uh, the, The point is that, you see, John has, by the Holy Spirit, the power to discern where we might not We can't tell if it's a genuine Picasso or if it's a fake. Is it authentic? And John is telling us, the Apostle John is telling us, by the Holy Spirit, he has the ability to discern, and this one is not a fake Christ. This is not a fake light, which is a flash in the pan, here, today, and gone tomorrow. This one is the true light, the Word. The Word which was is the light which was. The word of truth is the light of truth. Not John. See, in verse 8, John was not the light. But don't lose heart just because John is not the light. There was the true light, the genuine one, the, the authentic one. In John 1, 14, just a few verses down, a couple sermons from now, Lord willing, the apostle will say, the word became flesh, full of grace and truth. The true light is full of truth. And again, just a few more verses down in yet another sermon, Lord willing, verse 17, the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth were realized through Jesus, the Christ. So John continues his introduction, having taken this little detour about John, who came as a witness. Now, remember, John is the witness. John is not the light. Who is the true light? Well, there was one. That's all John has told us. Uh, There was this true light, Now, the next thing he says is this true light, which enlightens every man, which enlightens every man. What does that mean? Well, that's the language of the NASB and another of other translations like the Revised Standard Version, the New English Bible. Um, A number of commentators would translate it that way. But it could be a little bit misleading, couldn't it? There was the true light which enlightens everybody. Let's first talk about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean what the NASB sounds like it means, which is why other translations like the NIV and the NLT and the ESV don't go this way with enlighten. It It sounds like everybody receives some sort of divine enlightenment. Everybody who comes into the world has received a divine enlightenment. They don't know it necessarily, but it's there. And all they have to do is discover this true enlightenment, which is already within them. And so the solution to their feeling benighted is not that they are benighted, it's that they just haven't discovered the enlightenment, the divine spark that is inside every human being. That's what it sounds like when it says there was the true light, which enlightens everybody. It just sounds like everybody's enlightened. Well, you know, that would preach pretty well in today's culture, wouldn't it? That's very contemporary. Uh, It's a very contemporary idea just to think that everybody has received divine enlightenment. And the problem is not that people aren't enlightened. The problem is they just don't know they're enlightened. And let me show you the path to to realizing the enlightenment that is already inside of you. Well, two considerations oppose this interpretation. One is that people who take this interpretation... um, tend to be thinking of the background of John as Greek culture rather than Hebrew culture. Now, to be sure, the authors of the New Testament were writing in Greek, but they were all Jews. And so their their cultural understanding, their whole approach is Jewish, it is Hebrew, and while sometimes knowing things from broader Greek cultures is helpful for understanding the New Testament, what's more important is understanding the Old Testament because the Old Testament is Hebrew, Jewish as well. And so there's kind of a wrong starting point. Uh, and if any of you are bilingual, you've probably had this experience or if you know somebody who's bilingual, uh, maybe English is their second language and they're saying something in English But it just doesn't sound like English. It's all the right words, but it's like the wrong order. But it's the right order in their language. So their original language comes through when they're speaking English. For example, you've probably seen on elevators. um, In English, it says no smoking. But it also says no fumar. What's no fumar mean in Spanish? No smoking. But not if you translate it woodenly. Woodenly it means no to smoke. And you might know somebody who speaks Spanish, but it's not their first language, and their English is improving, but they might say to you, oh, no to smoke. It's because their Spanish is their first culture. It's their first language, and even when they're speaking in English, at times, you can't hide the first culture, the mother tongue, it comes out. And that's what, that's what is happening here as well. Um, nowhere in John's Gospel is it implied, for that matter, nowhere in the Bible is it implied or taught that every human being has been given a divine enlightenment. Quite to the contrary. Uh, In the Gospel of John, in fact, it's explicitly stated that people are not illuminated. They are not enlightened. They do not recognize the light when it comes to them, and it takes a special act of God's grace to overcome the natural darkness so that they can experience the light. For example, in John 3.19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. That doesn't sound like somebody who's enlightened. The very next verse says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And so the idea that, that this verse means there was the true light which gives divine enlightenment to every human being. Uh, It sounds that way when we're reading in the New American Standard, but that can't be what the Apostle John is saying. That is not what it means. What does it mean? Well, this word is used literally only one time in the New Testament. Uh, In Luke, the uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 11, verse 36, refers to a lamp that gives light. Uh, We don't have lamps in here, but we have these uh, light bulbs in the cans up in the ceiling. And if we were to turn them off and then turn them on, the bulbs give light. And uh, it's used literally in that way one time. But most of the time, this word is used figuratively. And it's used figuratively to, to talk about bringing knowledge and understanding. We use light in a similar way, don't we? Finally, the light went on up here. What do we mean by that? I finally understood it. And so we we speak of light figuratively in our culture the same way ancient Jews spoke of it in their culture. Uh, to To turn the light on, is to bring understanding and knowledge. For example, the Apostle Paul. Again, he's writing in Greek, but he's a first century Jew. He says in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know. Light, the lights, I pray that the lights would go on in your heart so that you may know. So what John is talking about here is there was the true light which brings understanding and knowledge to everyone. Jesus comes to bring he is the truth and he comes to bring true knowledge over against all the false knowledge about gods and humanity in the Greco-Roman world. Jesus comes to bring true knowledge, over against all the misunderstandings of how humans relate to deity in that ancient world, Jesus comes to bring true understanding to everyone. There was the true light, which enlightens, which brings light, which brings knowledge, which brings understanding to everyone. We've already talked a little bit about that in the last sermon on John 1, 8, where we were told that John came to testify so that all might believe. And, of course, this isn't some new invention in the New Testament, this idea that God, in some sense, wants everyone to believe. We need only to go back to the prophet Isaiah. Uh, in, In your bulletin, you might notice at the top, Uh, in small print, so if you're like me, it might have gone by if you didn't have your readers on. Uh, But there's a quotation from the prophet Isaiah with regard to light. But another one is Isaiah 49.6. God says, speaking of the, the servant of the Lord who is going to be the Christ, the Messiah, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant? to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Is that too small? Oh, I've given you a much bigger job to do. I will also make you a light of the nations. Why? So that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It was very easy for Ancient Israel and for first century Jews to think that all of this stuff about salvation is for us and for us alone. In fact, there's a whole prophetic book that is written on this theme, one that we've studied in years gone by. Remember that guy named Jonah? Jonah, who was all bent out of shape because he, he had forgotten God's big agenda and he had laid hold of part of God's agenda, that is, bringing salvation to Israel and later to the Jews, he made the mistake of thinking that that small part was the whole thing instead of being a means to a greater end. He had forgotten the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless you, and you will become a blessing to all the families of the earth. And why did God want to bring blessing to all the families of the earth? Well, because when we go all the way back to the beginning, God's the creator of all the families of the earth. God's agenda has been... Inter- uh, globalism is not new. Okay, our version of it may be, but globalism goes all the way back through the scriptures to the creation. God's the first globalist. God says, I am interested in having a people from every country, every language group, every ethnicity, every race. That diversity is a manifestation of my own diversity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God's agenda has always been a big agenda, and Jesus is coming as the true light so that the the stage at which God has been, where His agenda has been about Israel, will now get transformed. And and we will see that Israel was not the end in and of itself, but the means. The means through which God would bring His salvation, His light, to the ends of the earth. And as it was easy for ancient Israel to think, It's about us only. It's easy for the contemporary Christian church to fall into the same trap, isn't it? It just seems to be human nature. Instead of seeing that, that it is about us, but not only about us, that we, like Israel, are channels so that through us, God's salvation might be made known to the ends of the earth. It's so easy just to think it's just for us here and now. There was a true light which brings knowledge and salvation to everyone so that God's original plan in creation would be manifest in redemption, that there would be a light to the nations, so that God's salvation would not be limited in a small way to a small group, but as Isaiah says, that his salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. And that light, which had been burning in the nation of Israel, was now about to burst those bonds, those boundaries, those limits, and go to the end of the world. And then we come to our final clause. There was the true light, which brings light to everyone coming into the world. Now we find out why the NASB and other translations shift the order of the clauses. It's because they're not writing in Greek. And they don't want to sound like they're saying, no to smoke. They want to say things the way we say things in English. There are two possibilities in the Greek text. Now, Greek is not like English. Greek has these things called case endings on the end of nouns. And the endings are different. And one ending would say, I'm the subject of the sentence. And another different ending would say, I'm the direct object of the sentence we don't have that anymore in English. We used to have it to one degree or another. We still have a little hint of it in who and whom. Who is for the subject? Whom is for the object? But even that has fallen away in ordinary speech. Uh, you, you pretty much only use that in written speech now, uh, not in just common spoken English. Uh, it's not a big mistake to use who for whom. Sorry if the English professors are out there. I mean, I'm just talking about the way we ordinarily speak English. It's not a bad error. Um, It is a bad error to use whom for who, because that makes you sound like you're trying to be proper and you don't know what you're talking about. So safe thing to do. Just always use who in speech, and you'll be, you'll be okay, uh, unless you're talking to an English professor, and then you might get your knuckles wrapped. <laughs> My wife and I were having a conversation yesterday. When somebody says, how are you doing, should you say, I am good, or I am well? Okay, I'm not going to answer that one for you, but go to um, uh, Grammar Girl, and you'll find a good answer uh, online. Basically, again, either one is okay. They're both grammatically correct. Um, but uh, if you think the person's asking you about your health, then you say, I'm well. If they know that you're well health-wise, then say, I'm good. But just don't say, I'm doing good. That's wrong. That, I don't care who you are. That's just wrong. Okay, so where was I here? Now, just for, 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 for illustrate, if English had if English had case endings... Let's just say the letter O means I'm the subject and the letter A means I'm the object. If we said the man O bit the dog A, uh, we would know who did the biting and who got bitten, right? We could say the dog A uh, bit the man O, and we would know that uh, it was the man who did the biting and not the dog. The endings would tell us. Well, we don't have that luxury in English. So there's a, what, what has to serve the purpose? Word order. We always put the subject first, the man bit the dog. In English, the man bit the dog is really different than the dog bit the man, especially if you're the man. Big difference. What's the point? Once in a while in Greek, these endings are a little bit ambiguous. Im- Im- ambiguous. Ambiguity? Ambiguous. Thank you. In other words, the the Greek text is ambiguous. The ending on coming into the world could go with the light or it could go with the man. It could be either one. So there are two real possibilities. But only one of them is correct for obvious reasons. Uh, This coming into the world does not modify man. Man. It's not that every man coming into the world, it's every light. It's the light that is coming into the world. Oh, here John is starting to ramp things up for us. If if this were a TV program, we're getting closer to the edge of our seat as we continue to move through this introduction. In John one eleven, in just a couple of verses, uh, he's going to talk about the Christ, and he's going to say, he came. The Christ came, not was, came. Uh, Like in our verse, the light was, now it's see the shift, the light was coming. Like John the Baptist, a creature came. Now the light which always was, the word which always was, now the light is coming. He came to his own. Not was, but coming. Coming what the eternal word in all these wases? now all of a sudden you're starting to use the language of creature for the word how is it possible that the word which was the light which was how is it possible that that penetrates created existence what's the answer to that question we don't know. John hasn't told us. We have to wait for another sermon before we're going to get there. But we we are eventually, Lord willing, get, going to get to John 1.14. In the beginning was the Word, but what happened? The Word became... See, uh, what? Not the Word was flesh. No. The Word was not always flesh. The Word was, the light was, but... John is going to tell us that the Word became flesh. The miracle of the incarnation. The was became. Deity becomes humanity. The Creator becomes the creature. So that the good light of God can reach the utter ends of the earth. John knows how to write. Let's just conclude. As John continues to introduce you to the Christ, he says to you this morning, there was the true light coming into the world, which brings understanding and knowledge to everyone. Do you want to know the true God better? Get to know the true light better. Because the true light, John 1.18, the true light is the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. That one has made Him known. And that's why Jesus can later say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the path to knowing the Father. God is light. Jesus is light. If you want to know God more deeply, get to know Jesus more deeply. Because He is the revelation of the true God. Do you want to get to know your true self better. Get to know the true light because by God's grace, through your faith, you have been mystically connected to this light. Look at, uh, for just a moment at 1 John. 1 John chapter f- uh, 1 and verse 5. The same writer saying, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. As you get to know the true light better, you get to know God better. As you get to know the true life better, you get to know your true self better because you are in the light. And don't you want others to share that same experience as well? Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We do pray that you would forgive us for when our steps follow the darkness and not the light. But We thank you that by your grace, through faith, we are in the light, and that the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. And we pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves, and that as we do so, you would use us, that this light might spread from us to the ends of the earth, that your name might be glorified throughout your world, now and forevermore. Amen.